the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Hope you've had a good week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our mailback episode from early in the week, it was uh, it was it was loaded with laughs, love, and uh, and plenty of good conversation, especially if you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan, and more for the Bulldogs coming up in a little bit. Hey, Barton, uh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I am um, finishing up our Final rankings for the class of 2020. We got another signing day coming up here pretty soon. And and then one of my favorite times of the year, Chip, we get to start thinking about spring ball, thinking about optimism, what's to come, <laughs> starting to starting to dig into some of these teams, hit the road a little bit. So, so it, good, man. In the uh, in the the coming weeks, and uh, if if you've been listening to any of the the CBS Sports Network world of podcasts, you've You've probably heard the uh, the pro- promotions. We still are going to circle back and um, you know talk about the hires, but most importantly, maybe get into some grading press conferences. Once Definitely, we, most importantly, when when we get done with National Signing Day, on the other side of that, um, you know, sort of who won the off season is a, another fun conversation that we always like to have. And of course, uh, next week and then into. The following week, we will we, we, Barton, your your time to shine. As we'll uh, we'll be digging into signing day. It, our our listeners really really dug uh, our signing day reaction podcast, so we're going to try and uh, circle back and give you all that good information. So a uh, couple headlines before we knock out some of the the moving pieces with the NFL draft early entry deadline that just passed, including I think our head coaching carousel is now calm. At the FBS level, we've got after Nick Rolovich left Hawaii to go take the Washington State job, which of course was vacant because Mike Leach uh, went to Mississippi State. Now Hawaii has a new head coach, and uh, and that new head coach is former Arizona State head coach Todd Graham. Todd Graham, uh, of course, at Tulsa and Pitt and Arizona State, kind of a boom, boom, boom. But of the at the Sun Devils, he he did have some somewhat sustained success though the, he did end up getting removed a little bit later in the cycle, replaced by Herm Edwards. So for, for Todd Graham arriving at Hawaii, the opportunity for him to sort of work his way back up, similarly to how he did on the first run, is right there. Where's your... Where where, where were you moved? Like, were you moved at all by getting to see uh, the headset? Yeah, the Britney Spears headset back in the game? <laughs> Britney Spears is back. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, it's funny. Like, I just... It's interesting that Todd's... You know, Hawaii's going from 
new school guy, Nick Rolovich, to, to more of an old school approach, a little more in that like Bobby Petrino kind of kind of mentality um, in Todd Graham. Uh, defensive guy, go from offensive guy to a defensive guy. I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. Todd Graham is coached to where? Like Pitt, Tulsa, Arizona State, now Hawaii. Like he's really he's, – he's been geographically all over the map literally. And I'm, I'm very interested to see if this, is, this hits. I mean Hawaii kind of had a nice little thing going there um, after really struggling to, to find traction for a long time. I hope he can get it back going. I like guess it's fun to have Hawaii being competitive. I don't know how confident I am he'll be able to. But, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll root for it. There is, Todd Graham is a coach, to, to your point, not really with the home base. And it was the point of some jokes because he moved so quickly. Uh, like, Tulsa was the dream job. Then Pitt was the dream job. And then Arizona State was the dream job. And, then, you know, like some... some predictable shots fired when you when you mentioned dream job at, at several different places i mean it wasn't quite eli drinkwitz talking about winning the Sun Belt. i mean the sec east at his missouri press conference but you know still um you know he caught some caught some flack for being someone who would just sort of pack up and move at the the next great opportunity so you've got i think if you are and I, I know we've got some people that download this podcast uh, out on the Big Island, but if you are a Hawaii football fan, you've got to be a little bit nervous that this is going to be a coach that's just going to pack up and roll. But at the same time, I'm not wary of an outsider because he's he even even though he is a defensive coach, I also feel like we've we saw Todd Graham employ lots of different offensive attacks. I mean, he was the head coach who hired Mike Norvell as his offensive coordinator. So there's there, there's a little bit of a chance, I think, for whatever we think stylistically of Todd Graham, for that to be a little bit malleable and adaptable to uh, to whatever the personnel is going to fit for the Warriors. Yeah, h- hired Mike Norvell, and then he hired Billy Napier after that. So pretty good track record of hiring offensive coordinators. I think if you're a Hawaii or any team of that ilk, like I'm never scared of a coach like leaving because if he's left then he's left a program like that in better position than he found it probably or at least as good position as he found it um so hey if Todd Graham goes goes career climbing again out of Hawaii then once again he probably left you in, in a decent spot so um I'm good with that but uh have you it, it, do we have a Todd Graham press conference that's that's hit yet I don't know did he mention dream job I, I think <laughs> hopefully he kind of Shot away from that this time. Oh, I, I really hope he did. Let's see. Todd Graham press conference. Okay. We will have to review it. He did have on the lay, as you would I, expect. And yes. he did he did have on all of the uh, the local garb. So yeah, this was uh we we will add Todd Graham. See, Todd Graham getting this job is now to uh that's that's how we start our research on who won the press conference. Who really inspired us? Now it is worth mentioning that uh, one of our press conference champions from last year was uh, Manny Diaz. So winning, right. the, <laughs> winning the press conference does not uh, does not necessarily indicate that you're going to be able to uh, to get it done. But you know, I mean, listen. Uh, Todd Graham said we're going to attack. We're going to play the game with great speed and great physicality. We're the hardest working, most disciplined, most physical, and best prepared team in the country. That's what we like to hear. Are those actual quotes? Yeah. You pulling those up that quick. Uh, 
at least you know when Ty Graham says he's going to have an aggressive attacking defense. That's not a, that's not just a lie. Like every other coach, he he is at for better or worse going to be aggressive in attack on defense. No doubt. Uh, as the assistant coaching carousel continues to settle, uh, wanted to get your thoughts on this one because as David, I you've mentioned a couple times leading throughout the season, you know, Dave Aranda as a, uh, an interesting character within the elite level of college football. One of the highest paid coordinators. Now the head coach at Baylor taking over for Matt rule and the, it, it inspired me to spend a lot of time. Like, you know, at those media days, it's like an hour, but you could sort right. of post up in front of, you know, one coach or something. And maybe there's not many people around. You get to ask a bunch of questions in a row. I did. Yeah. I did spend about twenty five minutes in front of Aranda's uh, little booth at, before the national championship game, and, and you're absolutely right. Loved, loved listening to him talk. Loved listening to him uh, take some ownership in some of the early failures of LSU's defense. Diagnose what they needed to fix to get right, and uh, and and I wrote about it a little bit for CBSSports.com. I can can confirm. Uh, really, really interesting guy, and so. I, as we look forward at Dave Aranda's Baylor program, which I think is probably one of the most interesting in the Big 12, given the the fact that I think he inherits a program with a really solid culture, even though he's got a lot of players to replace from you know senior starters that are going to be departed, he makes what I think is a very, very key move as a head coach, uh, which is to keep Joey McGuire on board. And you mentioned Joey McGuire when Matt Rule, when we did our emergency Matt Rule press conference, just because he was he was singled out by some of the players as you know they were even nominating him for the head coaching job, and he is the he was the continuity piece. So do you do you think that in by retaining Joey McGuire, this was a situation where Dave Aranda is going to be able to to better uh, ingratiate himself with the Baylor community? Yeah, I think that was big, and and even more so in the community, probably the team. I mean, he's just um, – when you're like, – in some cases, I've talked about this, I feel like, before a little bit. Like when you are a, a program that's coming off of failure, like you're, you know, you're coming off a two-win season back-to-back years or something and a new coach comes in, it's pretty easy to buy in because you sucked before. So what do you have to lose to buy in? But Baylor's coming off of unprecedented success – and they got this new coach coming in, and they were such believers in Matt Rule for good reason. So, it, like, there, Dave Aranda has a challenge of just getting his guys to buy in to to his philosophies and and process and and uh, approach. So, I think it's when you when you have that sort of a challenge, I think it's really important to to have some continuity have. A, a little bit of a flavor from the previous staff and Joey McGuire again is, is, and, and not only that, but I think it's kind of a recruiting win. I mean, that was a guy that had other opportunities, um, at some other major competitors and Baylor is able to keep him on board. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a nice first one for, uh, for Dave Rand, a nice first feather in the cap. So we will be getting to, uh, on the, here on the other side of the break in just a little bit, the, the, the big picture at like NFL draft early entries and sort of the the programs that are going to be better off from maybe players that are coming back for their redshirt junior or senior season players uh, other programs that are going to have a lot to replace and in the in the process of doing some assignments this week I was digging in on Baylor and I just I thought it was so interesting because 
the the Baylor defense, you played three down linemen and things got a little bit hybrid, you know, from the the linebacker, defensive back safeties. I think on the depth chart, it technically reads as a three three five with three safeties, but the you know, the interchangeability was was definitely a big part of that. And I was thinking about Dave Aranda and I was trying to you know, I can't even really pinpoint Dave Aranda to a single scheme, but Baylor in particular, because they do have so many seniors, and then James Lynch, who was a junior, also left early to go to the NFL draft. It's it's like Dave Aranda comes in and he's got all this great culture that's in place, but it's not like he's going to have to you know, take a whole bunch of experienced players and bend them into a new scheme. It kind of seems like he gets to, from a, from a personnel standpoint, again, I think the culture, you, you got to assume, is still pretty strong, especially with McGuire there. But Aranda's got kind of a free reign to to mix and match as he sees fit based on whatever the personnel is going to be, be just because so many of those players that had done three years all in the same scheme, all in the same system, um, playing for Phil Snow, like they, they're all gone. And now Aranda kind of gets to put his uh, put his own little stamp on it. Yeah, and he's—I mean, he's—he's he's a three-down base guy at his core, um, dating back to, to Wisconsin, and they'll—you know—they'll—they've—they've they've mixed things up here and there at LSU, but it's just typically—I mean, that's—I think that'll be consistent with what he'll want to do. Um, so, I, I think—and then Dave Arandis, I think, is, is a smart guy, and so he's gonna—he's gonna be able to tinker with things and play with it, um, but ultimately, you know, he, he's gonna inherit a roster of long fast guys that's what Baylor's been recruiting length and speed and and um just maybe not quite as polished as some of the LSU guys but uh he'll have a chance to clean that up how about uh how excited are you about Dave Aranda's potential replacement at defensive coordinator you, you, you following this uh Bo Pelini yeah are we, are we putting uh some some belief that things are moving in that direction I mean that seems to be the the most the most talked about name by a long shot. It seems like he's just sort of trying to button up some things at Youngstown State to to make him comfortable leaving. But uh, look, I don't know. We're sitting here on what Friday morning. Maybe I'm missing a, a recent report, but it seems like Bo Pelini is is the lead candidate right now. That, that could be fun. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, L- LSU doesn't. Uh, LSU is not Alabama in keeping its assistance on lockdown, but it ain't wide open like, uh, you know, Clemson makes its coordinators pretty available. But I feel like we didn't, you know, we didn't hear a lot from Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady and Dave Aranda during the season. You know, well, they, I don't think I don't think any of those guys, particularly Ensminger and Aranda, are that interested in talking. But I'm not even really necessarily talking about like you know, media availability. I just think we got, we're in for some, if, if Polini pans out, we're just in for some like fun sideline antics. Okay. Just, yes. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in game entertainment. Just of, unbridled fury. Yeah. During the game. Polini being a madman, uh, mm-hmm. as of a defensive coordinator. It's like the, um, the one run that we had with Will Muschamp at Auburn. I feel like he was good for, uh, an explosive sideline sideline tirade for you know like once out of every two games. I feel like we got that with Bo Pelini, but I mean yeah. from a coaching standpoint, that he is he like at the highest levels of college football. Bo Pelini was an elite defensive coordinator before he became a head coach. Like that that should uh, indicate that 
we should have high expectations for LSU. So that's all great, but it's it's been a while, man. I'm I'm curious to see what he's like as he comes back. How how he connects to the children. How about that? Just he's just a, he'd just be a straight just gif bank. Just like <laughs> just gifs gifs galore. I just I've just saw a story from the app. Maybe I need to check in on this. I just saw a story from the advocate from a couple of days ago that that Pelini said he's not a a candidate at LSU, but I don't know. It's just uh, maybe I'm not sure how serious this is or not, but it sure seems like a lot of buzz. I like that uh, there's not really any panic about you know replacing members on the staff or anything just because. LSU is already just kind of in this wide open uh, honeymoon period. Like this, how long does the LSU honeymoon period last? They've been, <laughs> I mean, hey, like I guess Louisiana folks know how to celebrate, but I feel like every, you know every other day you got parades and White House visits and. Uh, I mean, Mardi Gras is coming up. I'm just assuming that Joe Burrow is going to be on a float. Or at least right. like holding a leadership position in the Mardi Gras parade. Like this, I, I really think that it's gonna, it might last until March, and then all of a sudden, we're like, oh gosh, LSU's got to start like, spring practice. Like I feel like there's yeah, like the 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 championship hangover for LSU is a is a hurdle that very few teams are are, are faced with after a title. Like just the amount of partying that is thrown their way that they just have to resist. Is 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 a challenge. So this is going to be beyond all that the uh, the personnel and coaching turnover. Just the the sheer volume of Louisiana locals that want to party with them is going to make this title defense tough. Oh, I yeah. I don't, I, th- I think that they're going to be more of the uh, reigning champions than defending champions. Might right. might not be a. It's kind kind of tough for there to be a whole lot of defense when uh when when a lot there's so much turnover. Uh, more on that in just a little bit. So this earlier this week, uh, headline from the recruiting trail, but not necessarily tied to this year's National Signing Day, was uh, Georgia getting a big time commit from five star quarterback Brock Vandegrift. Now Vandegrift originally was verbally committed to Oklahoma. Yes. And again, 2021 class. So the earliest he could sign would be later this December. He is a Georgia native and his announcement on Twitter was very much in the I'm staying home kind of vein. And I, I am not familiar to him, but as the the news started to trickle out, whether it's the always reliable Rusty Mansell or just sort of others throughout the recruiting and Georgia communities, I, it started to seem, I was like, wow, this is a, this, this seems like a really big get. Now, Georgia has been able to sign uh, elite players at the quarterback position, whether it's a Jake Fromm or a Justin Fields, but of course, Justin Fields transferring out, Jake Fromm going pro. That's why Jamie Newman's going to be the quarterback next year. So with Brock Vandegrift, is this a, is this a player who, like you said with Justin Fields, can lead a team to a national championship. I want, so when when he committed to Oklahoma, we had him ranked like fifteenth in the country or something like that, and maybe but maybe like the third quarterback in the country in the class of twenty twenty one. And it was really funny. Um, the the Oklahoma fan base or the message board sort of uh, talking point was like. How like how can you have him the third best quarterback in this class? He was the only quarterback Lincoln Riley offered. He's he was number one on Lincoln Riley's board. I was like, well, you know, hey, maybe like 
He's really good. We like him. No, 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 no. Like you don't understand. He's the only quarterback Lincoln Riley offered. And it's like, like okay, like I get it. Like Lincoln Riley is really good at this, and and he knows quarterbacks. That's fine, but um, it doesn't just automatically mean that this is just this totally uh, undefensible position that he's the third instead of the first best quarterback. So that's that's the backdrop to which the the Brock Vandergriff um, evaluation and recruitment is is based off of like he is he has been considered one of the best quarterbacks in this class since the beginning of this cycle he is very athletic he is a coach's son he doesn't play great competition but he's incredibly productive and he was Lincoln Riley's first choice um, backed off that pledge. He's a Georgia local, uh, and you know I think this is a really big commitment um, for a couple reasons. One, it's a really good year in the class of 2021 at quarterback. So there's about, I don't know, seven or eight really elite quarterbacks. So if you're a school like Georgia and you don't get one of those guys, one of those seven or eight, especially when one of those seven or eight is in your backyard. And we've seen the guys that are leaving Georgia and, and how much success they've had here and there. Um, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, et cetera. Um, you know, they got to get that guy. And secondly, like I'm not fully convinced, you know, obviously Jamie Newman is, is on that roster right now and he's really good and, and, and should, should be pretty solid this year. But beyond Jamie Newman, I'm not convinced that the starting quarterback in the season of 2021 is on that roster. You know, they signed Carson Beck this year, who's a four-star kid, but eh, is, is not like a four-star, like just no-brainer type. And that, you know, so hey, I, I just think that that's really good to have a quarterback down the pipeline that you can build off of. And this is about the time, like when you have to start getting those commits for the class of 2021. Um, they commit a year out at the quarterback position. So now they've got, Georgia's got its its guy, its 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 alpha for that class. So um, I think that's a really, really big commitment there for the for Kirby Smart. So the timing. Uh, well, first of all, let me get, get my jokes off. Yeah, I saw Prince Avenue Christian School. I was wondering if they played eight man there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, don't, yeah sure. don't judge them by who he's throwing against. <laughs> um, but this commitment comes right after some of the staff hires that we were praising on Monday's podcast. Are we drawing any connections there? I'm. Uh, I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that helps, and especially when, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that helps. I don't know how much that played into it, to be honest with you, but um, I'm sure it was was a factor. Because yeah. if this is a quarterback that also is interested in getting to uh, play for Lincoln Riley in a modern offense. And you know you decommit from Oklahoma. You're weighing your options. You're looking around. If you see, if you are able to read the tea leaves, or if your if your family and and your support staff is able to read the tea leaves that the hires that are being made by Kirby Smart indicate that we might be able to chuck this ball around more. I mean, it was ridiculous that we had a real stat about how like. Jake Fromm, and I'm, I'm going to get the specifics wrong, but it's like, wasn't Jake Fromm maybe like one in f- seven in games where he had more than 30 pass attempts? Like I, 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 I haven't seen that. Yeah. That's, 
<laughs> it was in the South Carolina game because he threw it like 40 times in that game, and they, they kept bringing up the stats. Like, well, any time that Jake Fromm's thrown it more than 30, more than 30 times per game, you know, Georgia's lost. And that that shouldn't be in 2020 the, the bait, like the hinge point for whether your team is successful offensively. Yeah. But I think the, I, and you mentioned the new coaches. I think just to have, and I don't know, like it's chicken or egg, I guess, but this is an athletic quarterback. This is a guy you can, you can model, a, like sort of map out a run game around. And so is the idea of having some new blood in the offensive staff sort of encourage him that they're going to utilize my skill set? Or is just, hey, having a guy with that skill set going to enable Georgia to create a more diverse offensive scheme? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, Jamie Newman can run, obviously, so th- this will be the, the litmus test this sure. year. What, what does Georgia's offense look like with Jamie Newman? But um, but I think it is – I mean, look, Georgia, I think – Certainly this year, I don't know about after this year. We'll see what their what the situation is. See if they get another grad transfer or what. But between Jamie Newman and Brock Vandegrift, they've got some athleticism at the quarterback position. Coming up on the other side, some of the winners and losers at the college level from the NFL draft early entry deadline. Next, Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the NFL early entry deadline officially passed on Monday. Um, there's, it's it's one of those times too when we have to break it down from the college, uh, the college angle where I, I, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to go too hard on losers, but it is impossible to not acknowledge, uh, especially at a place like LSU, that there is just massive massive amounts of turnover um from the from the juniors the draft eligible redshirt sophomores and juniors uh you know like Clyde Edwards Elaire Justin Jefferson Grant Delpit Patrick Queen um I mean we like three starters Caleb on Jason I mean just tons and tons of uh personnel departures so do you want to do, do you want to just bat back and forth on just a couple school, schools as case studies and sort of analyze what what happened here? Or how do you want to play this? Yeah, Utah. So, yes. Yeah, we can do that. Um, I've got some winners some winners written down. Oh, uh, nice. And uh, so sorry for being positive, you know, <laughs> but uh, but we can we can talk about some losers, too. OK. All right. Let's uh, hit me. Hit me with a good winner. Are you ready for Oklahoma State's national championship season? Chuba Hubbard is. Tylen Wallace is. I know. 
Rodarius Williams is. Uh, they have pretty much everybody back on defense. Uh, they have, and this was a defense. Look, I know it wasn't like a dominant defense, but nah, it was a they defense were that was it was middle like middle of the pack in the Big Twelve. I think you'll take middle of the pack with everyone coming back. Um, and you've got Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard, and your quarterback Drew Sanders all back. And I look this this is this is one of the most like. Oklahoma State is going to be a trendy team starting in now. Like, <laughs> so we've got like, I, I I just got a hunch that that's good. This is going to be a team that everyone talks. Now maybe this is a bad thing. Maybe they should they should go into the season under the radar. That's typically when Mike Gundy works best. But um, we might see like Oklahoma State buzz from December to August or whatever we in January to August and. That could be fun. So Mike Gundy recently told reporters a couple of updates and they, he, he agree, you know, he says um, in order to, to make a run at the playoff, you need to have NFL players. He said, just look at all the teams that have been in the playoff. So to have players that could have been in the NFL on the roster, that absolutely gives us a better chance. He also, to your point, Pointed, he said, I, I thought our defense was pretty good last year. I thought that, you know, especially in this league, though the way that they were able to come up with some stops and get off the field, come, you know, b- come up big in the red zone, he seemed to almost indicate that, like, the offense turn- turning the ball over probably put the defense in some bad positions at times this year and might have indicated or might have contributed to some of the, a little bit of a step back uh, in terms of the the statistical profile now tylen wallace tore his acl in late october but the good news that gundy had there is that he's ahead of schedule on rehab now he's going to be protected and kind of bubbled up a little bit in spring practice but the plan according to gundy is to turn him loose come mid-august so it might be a slow start for tylen wallace but chuba hubbard told mike gundy i'm ready to carry it 30 times a game don't limit me like pulled gundy don't say that chuba Pulled Gundy aside in, in the pulled Gundy aside in the hallway because Gundy had had a quote talking about not really planning to um, you know load up on him that way and Chuba was like Nah I'm I'm ready bring it hey, to I, me I respect that though I like it I like the I like the attitude and uh, Spencer Sanders who was also injured last year has just started oh, what I say Drew Sanders yeah Spencer Sanders sorry Drew Brown was his backup. That's right. Yeah. 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 Spencer Sanders has just started throwing again. So you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. The Oklahoma state hype machine is going to be, uh, turned all the way up and I'm here for it because, uh, that big 12, we, we talked about it at the end of bowl season. You know, we enjoyed trying to figure out who amongst the middle of the pack would come out on top of the others when Kansas state, Iowa state, Oklahoma state, you know, we're all playing each other. But come bowl season, none of them really uh, looked great against mid-tier competition from other teams. If Oklahoma State's going to level up, you know Texas is certainly going to have in its mind a, a big step forward after a disappointing 2019. And then we've got Baylor now trying to maintain whatever whatever it can with Dave Aranda. Iowa State's not going anywhere. Matt Campbell knows exactly what he wants to do. So I I, I think that we've got. Uh, again, a year where I'm going to get suckered into really being excited about the top half of the Big 12. I love the Big 12. Man. <laughs> I just love the Big 12. And I, I've, I've got made 
made a fool by the Big 12's performance in bowl season. Um, so I guess I can't I can't get on my Big 12 as the toughest conference to win soapbox, but uh, I could still love it. So I'm 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 excited about this Big 12 season coming up. All right, what's your all right, pe- pessimistic Perry? What's your uh, what's your like team that took the biggest hit here? I'm going Georgia because you lose Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, Andrew Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, and uh, Solomon Kinley. So you're you're hitting reboot on the offense, which as we've mentioned uh, at times in this episode and earlier this week, might Cade be Mays. You mentioned Cade Mays. Did not mention Cade Mays. Cade Mays Bouncing as well. Tennessee. Yeah. So you've you've got uh you've got a pretty big exodus. Now there is a there is an upside to Georgia too. Um, they they sort of get a little bit of a a little bit of a boost. I don't know if would Richard Lacan. Yeah, you, uh, you 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 need to be careful here, Chip. <laughs> because this is the year of Georgia on this pod, right? So we're like we're like we're 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 a positive Georgia pod this year, and you're 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 t- tinkering on the edge of negativity here. So Richard, so, so 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 reel it back in. Richard LeCount turns down the NFL. Would he have been a high draft pick? I don't. I think he would have been a mid round guy. I would assume. Okay, Richard, but I, but I think. But I think he could play himself into into a high draft pick this year. So I think it was smart to come back. Yeah, L- Richard LeCount comes back, and the defense returns pretty much everybody. Like right. that uh, Georgia defense, is, for all of the offensive turnover, the Georgia defense is going to be just as good as it was last season. And just as good means you're one of the best units in the country. <laughs> so uh, blowing it up on offense, you lose a lot of underclassmen that chose to go. But, uh, so just based on the early entry deadline, I will, I will put them on a, uh, on the losers, on the loser bucket. I'm this, this season to me is, is all about the, the new offensive coaches and, and how they use Jamie Newman. Cause I, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I look the all due respect to Jake Fromm. But there is a world where Jamie Newman is an upgrade if they can find a way to use Jamie Newman's skill sets, all of it, effectively. Uh, I think DeAndre Swift, as talented as he is, and he may be the best running back in the draft, like they never even like they never even really fed him enough to to for him to be this some sort of dominating figure in college football. I mean, they they really distributed the ball around to a lot of running backs last year. So I'm not. I'm not like, and they've got talented running backs returning, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, and defensively, they're going to be even better, and and they're maybe the best defense in the country. So I guess really, and and receiver again, it's it's a year two of the George Pickens era, Dominic Blaylock year two. Uh, they got some good receivers coming in, like I that that will be fine. So it's all about just with Sam Pittman gone, with those big offensive linemen gone, they've recruited so well at offensive line. But that's a big exodus. So that unit, I would imagine, will take a step back. But again, it, it circles back to me to the new coaches. Like, can they put together an offense that isn't just "we're going to be bigger than you" and here we come? Like, throw a little nuance in there. Use an athletic quarterback, and hey, th- this offense could could reach. I think heights that this past season's offense couldn't can we talk about florida state being a winner yeah they're a winner 
Marvin Wilson back, you know, it was widely assumed when his season was shut down for a hand injury that he might, uh, he, he would be off to the NFL. I mean, I, I think that Marvin Wilson's probably a first round draft pick. And then after the hire of Mike Norvell, we get the announcement that Marvin Wilson wants to come back for a senior season. And then after Marvin Wilson announces that he's going to come back, you've got Tamarion Terry, just a an absolute uh, big play threat at wide receiver, highlight reel type player. Uh, he's he's going to come back. Now they do lose Cam Akers, so again, there's there, there's a little bit weighing on both sides of the scale. But the the argument that I'll make for for Florida State and Mike Norvell and, and why this is really good is because when you've got the when when you've got your some of your best players coming back that's going to be an obvious bonus but when you've also got players that i think are going to be considered some of the some of the leaders in the locker room if they are committing not just to come back to florida state but to come back to play for mike norvell well then you've got the the very beginnings of being able to to lean on those players as some of the leadership in the locker room. And look, a lot of that's going to come, uh, you know, like keeping keeping Odell around was a no brainer. And uh, and of course, with him being the defensive line coach, that Marvin Wilson connection, like there's there's a real good case to be made for like a, a heartbeat of the team, sort of in that room situation as as Norvell gets things started here in 2020. But I I think that. You've got those players coming back. Yes, it is awesome because they are NFL talents, but it is also great for Mike Norvell for all of the intangible reasons that their commitment might bring. Yeah, I, I, I 100%, I think that's well said because that, that's, that was my reaction to it as well. It was less, when I saw Marvin Wilson and Tamori and Terry, um, Terry coming back, it was less of, oh, wow, look at that offense look at that skill or, or talent or ability returning to this florida state roster it was more like oh damn like these guys aren't trying to get out of dodge like right. they they actually want to stick around and make florida state good and dive because like they would have gotten drafted high marvin wilson may not have been a first rounder but he would have been close and so that's a i think just an encouraging vote of confidence and I, I I have I think the thing to watch I mean the question there is what, what the quarterback position looks like and I really think that you're probably going to see true freshman Chuba Purdy being the starter at some point <clears throat> and I and he's he's not a perfect quarterback he's and this is Brock Purdy's younger brother um, and he is he's he's you know he's got some mechanical you know kinks. That, that maybe he needs to work out, but he's a big athletic guy that I think is just going to be the best option for Florida State. And so how quickly can he get going? How quickly can they pick up that Norvell stuff? But I just think there's too much talent on that roster, particularly at the skill positions, for, uh, for Florida State not to be improved. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, where do you want to turn the spotlight? Well, I, look, I think – you, I saw your. You wrote a good piece for CBS on like the top returning players or something, um, or maybe it's most important. I can't remember how you phrased it, but I, I did take um, exception to the order, and you had Devonte Smith maybe first. Is that yeah, right? That's correct. I th- and I think 
the most important returnee in the country is Dylan Moses. Oh, I didn't even have Dylan Moses on the list. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little outside out of mind. I mean, he didn't play this year. Right. Uh, but Dylan Moses' return at Alabama, to me, is – like, I, tr- I, tr- I, I, I believe this, that Dylan Moses hurt Alabama – like, the injury of Dylan Moses hurt Alabama's national title and playoff hopes more than anything else this year. More than, more than Tua's injury, more than the other sort of collection – of injuries defensively is Dylan Moses. I think if Dylan Moses is starting at middle linebacker all year long for Alabama, I think they probably make the playoffs. I'm not saying they beat LSU. I don't know. Clyde Edwards Elaire was the secret weapon and Clyde Edwards Elaire's ability to make plays uh against that Alabama defense was, in my opinion, entirely a result of how Alabama was weak on the interior of its defense. And and I just yeah and so with Dylan Moses I don't think Clyde runs like that. No, so I again I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, rain on LSU's many many parades by saying Alabama <laughs> would have won with Dylan Moses, <laughs> but but I'm go- but I am gonna say that was that was huge not having Dylan Moses. So he's back. The leadership there, the the ability there, and offensively Najee's back. Devontae Smith is back. We know Jalen uh, Waddle's back. Um, Alex Leatherwood. Alex Leatherwood. So, so, and then defensively, you just have I – th- I think that they've recruited well enough in the front seven to sort of have these guys start to come of age next year. So I just – I think Alabama, you know, that's – you're going to have to take when, – when, when you're making your national title predictions, you're going to have to take a good hard, hard look at, uh, at Alabama. And I think Dylan Moses is the biggest reason why. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. I think that's your four. That's my three. Oh, uh, that sounds right. Like I, for for the for the national championship. Like when when we are talking about not only make the playoff, but when we are talking about the what teams do we think can not only make the playoff but win playoff games? I think the three that just right off the top of my head, it's Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. <coughs> Yeah, that sounds right. Other than Oklahoma State, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Oregon? Yep, I got them. Yeah, we got uh, so probably most importantly, CJ Verdell. Yeah, but also just all of the all of the defensive guys, and I don't know that any of them were obvious first round types, but and I mean I I don't think I don't think any of them were, but but yeah, there were probably a few sneaking into the early rounds um, with Thomas Grand and Diamador Lenore, the corners and Jordan Scott, the, uh, the, the defensive tackle. And uh, there's just a lot of guys that could have left, didn't come back. Defense, I think is going to be really stout. Uh, offensive line will be really good. Again, CJ Verdell returns. That's big. I what, look what's at left? Uh, quarter quarterback, right? Yeah. I look at that defense and with who they've got coming back, basically they only lose Troy Die, and that's a, a big loss, no doubt. But, uh, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau was a freshman and he was coming on as one of the best defensive linemen in the Pac-12 by the end of the season. So yeah. to, to have the to Thomas Graham, like very highly rated prospect who's played a lot of ball 
I remember Thomas Graham was getting out there as a freshman in in some real significant snaps. And so to have all that together, the the Oregon that'll be the another uh another one to see who's gonna be willing to to go out on that limb and saddle up with Oregon because as Mario Cristobal and his team were watching the national championship game together, doing that same like this is where we wanna be uh team activity. I was like, okay. All right. All right, Mario. You ready to uh you're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. Let's go. <laughs> so I, the but the the again, like now I'm just curious whether is Tyler Shuck the the answer at quarterback? Do they I mean they haven't really dipped into the portal. There was some Jamie Newman buzz with Oregon early, but that obviously tailed off. He landed at Georgia. Um you know, Derek King is now at Miami. KJ Costello, I guess, is still out there. Like, there's a couple guys still out there, but what? I mean, you need a quarterback. Oregon, Oregon has reached a point where they can they can try to play for national titles, or they can that that can be a realistic goal for them. But you can't you can't do that unless you have an elite quarterback. And so I just wonder if they think Tyler Shuck is that guy. Would Jaron Williams entertain Oregon? I don't. I mean, Jaron Williams isn't that guy either, though. Yeah. I mean. Right, like you didn't. I mean, I'm, he's I'm not, not leaving Miami. Like with you thinking that he was some talent that Miami just couldn't couldn't hold on to. I mean, he had his moments, but I think all in all, Jaron Williams leaves fairly pedestrian. Would you rather uh, does does Jaron Williams or Chase Bryce give you a better chance to win a conference title? I think Chase Bryce. Wow. Yeah, that was the other one out there that I was wondering that, that I was wasn't thinking about. That's that's available. I. Man, I when when Chase Chase Bryce announced that he was going to enter the transfer portal and just an outpouring of just love and anecdotes from Clemson. Oh, you've never met anybody who's like more beloved <laughs> inside the program, and like that was a little bit of uh, she's got a good personality to you. It, it was, and then I started to reach like even further back, and I, I just started to say, all right, if I'm talking myself into Chase Bryce. I'm talking myself into the pedigree. Just the idea that he was a, a four-year starter, uh, one state championship at a high school program in the state of Georgia that is just a... a isn't Grayson just like one of those programs in the state? Like it's just a yeah. massive uh, powerhouse. Like 40-7 yeah. and seven record as a starter all four years or something like that. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. You can... You can we, we talk about pedigree a lot uh, in the golf world where it's uh, Colin Marikawa is a, a young golfer right now who just played four years at Cal, was an All-American all four years, broke all kinds of individual records. And so now at the age of like 22, 23, he's in his second year as a professional, turned pro middle of last year. And everyone's like, dude, I don't I don't know. We'll see how he does. But that kid, he's a player. And I think that that's what you hang your hat on if you're excited about Chase Bryce. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 look. He's won some big games. I mean, he's he has saved the day at least in some games that you know weren't supposed to be big games. Um, we would have never had that third national championship if it weren't for you, Chase Bryce. We'll be saying thanks every single night. <laughs> uh, so Stanford, I think, is low key an exciting one. Paulson Adebo. Uh, Paulson Adebo's back. Um, Walker Little, who 
could have gone probably would have been like a third round pick because he missed his senior season or whatever whatever his junior season um but he returns as a potential first rounder at offensive tackle and offensive line has been an issue with them because of the injuries and they have davis mills at quarterback and i think davis mills is going to be good and so um there's i look i was i was on the, the sell your uh your stanford tickets Sell your sell your Stanford stock last year preseason. I might buy low this year. I might might buy some Stanford stock a little low this year because the it the return of Adebo and Little run counter to the transfer portal exodus in terms of narrative. Yes. Yeah. I don't know, man. What's Stanford's recruiting class look like this year? Like twenty twenty? Yeah. yeah. It's actually pretty good. Like um, it's top twenty five. And I think they've got some good players in it. All right. Well, we'll. I mean, David Shaw, like we had not seen a hiccup in the David Shaw experience. Now they've gone four and eight. Now we'll see what happens. Like it was, uh, some, somebody once described the way that Stanford looked at times this season as pre Harbaugh bad. That's not good. So we'll, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. We'll see. What uh, happens. we, we got, the, the one more negative one we, we have alluded to but haven't really touched on is I'm, I'm like I mean LSU right yes like what do you we'll have a lot of time to dig into what reasonable expectations should be for LSU what are yours in the early going here eight and four wow so that's a, that's seriously lowering your expectations yeah you got it <clears throat> I, I so let me uh I'll, I'll elaborate on that. I think that you've lost um you've lost so many important players at like like a you still have a Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley is arguably the best player in uh in that secondary in terms of just sort of like raw talent, but I mean Grant Delpit allowed especially a healthy Grant Delpit allowed that whole defense to just kind of like he, he when he could just play uh, the Delpit position, it just really caused so many problems for offenses and made life easier for the rest of the defense. You've got uh, so many of those like versatile second level players. Like they've got a couple of them back. Uh, is Kerry Vincent back? I think, and he could have left. But that's right. Yeah, I just I I think the 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 like margin for error in general in the SEC West is. Uh, I buy this. I'll, I'll take them to nine and three. I think they still beat Texas, but then I think they take a couple losses in conference play. Seems a little more reasonable. I, I think. I mean, this is another one where I'm just going to default and be like, you know, I think quarterback's pretty important. I, I'm not. I think offensive line worries me a little bit. They lose some good players in the offensive line, and you know, I think just how they've developed them is is going to be what what how they develop the guys behind them. Obviously, the preference how how good they're going to be because I just the names alone don't necessarily inspire a ton of confidence in me right now. But we don't know, um, so I'm a little worried about offensive line. But like offensively, otherwise, I mean, uh, Jamar Chase, the Belitnikov winner, is still back. You got five star John Emery and Tyreon D- Davis, and I mean the the running back field is still going to be loaded. Um, Trey Palmer is going to step in as a as a sophomore next year and, and going to going to wow you. They got a five star receiver coming in, Keishon Boutte. 
They've got Terrace Marshall's. Like the there's the the skill talent is still loaded. Um, they they've got a five star tight end coming in to replace Thaddeus Moss and Eric Gilbert. So none of that concerns me. Defensively, without Dave Aranda and with a lot of missing pieces there, yes, like that could be a little bit of rough going at times. But they're still, I mean, they still recruit such a high level. And they're still gonna be so talented. I'm not like super worried. It just all boils down to again, like Miles Brennan hasn't gotten just, it, you know, Baton Rouge isn't just bubbling with confidence over Miles Brennan. So, what happens at the quarterback position? Is is he being undersold? Or do they have a, a a grad transfer they can dig up? Um, if they had, if they have a really good quarterback. Uh, who knows what they could be? But if they would, if they're average at quarterback, then yeah, probably nine and three is is about right. Miles Brennan running the LSU offense of 2019 without Thaddeus Moss, Justin Jefferson, and Clyde edwards elaire is at least two wins short of Joe Burrow. I just I'm I'm less. I mean, yeah. Like, there's a huge difference between Joe Burrow and Miles Brennan, I think. I'm less worried about the other pieces that you mentioned that are departing. I just, I, maybe I'm putting too much stock into what a true freshman tight end could do um, or, or what the backup running backs can do. I, I have a ton of respect for Clyde Edwards Elaire, but I also think those guys in year two in the system might be pretty good. So, I'm not as worried about the pieces around the quarterback. I am still worried about the quarterback, and I'm a little worried about the offensive line. Um, okay, let's see. Washington lost Hunter Bryant, Jacob Eason, and uh, Salvan Ahmed. That's not good. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, Jimmy Lake regime, fresh, fresh starts. We'll see what John Donovan can do at offensive coordinator. They have all. They have a bunch of quarterbacks to choose from in that room. Um, I, I, it, it's sort of a wash for me. Sort of a push. What about Wisconsin losing Jonathan Taylor, Quintez Cephas, uh, and uh, Remington Trophy winner? Just sort of. It's, I mean, that's typical attrition, I think. Right. Uh Jonathan Taylor might be special. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, that's no surprise that Jonathan Taylor's gone. Right, that's true. This, it, this, I mean, it, it wasn't a we, stunner. Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor has has had a three year clock on him since his first carry in college. You know, like <laughs> we we we've budgeted that in. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Did uh did did Clemson budget in Travis Etienne coming back for another year? No, I I mean I think we probably budgeted in a three year clock for him, but that's but I don't know. You know, Clemson operates in a different. Uh, different clock than a lot of folks they can get these guys to come back so maybe they they knew it all along i'm sure he'd be gone if they won a national title Ooh, i, I don't know maybe i'm not sure he'd be gone um but maybe more likely um but uh yeah i think that's a big one i think travis Etienne coming back with trevor lawrence with justin ross um is is kind of scary. <laughs> it's kind of scary, and with these defensive linemen that are coming in, Clemson is going to be good, dude. Tyler Davis was playing a lot of snaps by the end of the season. I'm ready to see him be a monster as a sophomore. 
get get, uh, get some of those yeah. Clemson approved uh, protein shakes in him. He'll be ready to go. Yeah, yeah, they got some beasts coming in. Anybody, uh, anybody else you want to spotlight before you get out of here? That's all. That's I'm I'm clean. All the winners. Good for you for yeah. being all positive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh that's yeah, the 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 content machine really demands winners and losers, but uh Barton and Chip are just a little bit too positively charged to be able to to dwell too much in the this losers. This is a positive podcast, man. You know, there's too much too much negativity out there. We're a positive podcast. Be the light you want to see in the world. That's right. Love it. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, if you want to get in on Mailbag, you do so by you going to the Cover 3 podcast. You leave a five-star rating, a review, and also your question. It will be addressed by Barton, Tom Fernelli, and myself. Barton, thank you very much. Sir. Sure.